Scano Segoani, Bonjour, Kwekwe, Tansi. Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and we are broadcasting on 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. And uh, this is Element FM, and uh, your show lineup for today is a little bit different, but I think an exciting one. On the line, we have from Ottawa, I understand she just got there, we have Michaela Shannon, and we'll tell you more about her in a minute. But after Shannon, about 20 minutes from now, we're going to run a, a, a short interview that I did last week with uh, Gary Anasangria, and he is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of, of uh, Canadian Heritage and Multiculturalism, and that... Uh, is going to be on some legislation that just came down the pipe. And then after that interview, we're going to come back after a short break, and we're going to go to our Ottawa studios. And there we are going to speak with Caroline O'Neill. She's going to bring us up to date on that and a few other things that are going on that have recently happened in the Ottawa area. SNC-Lavalin is one of those things. So we will be talking with her uh, at about uh, 40 minutes to the hour. But right now on the line, I would like to welcome Michaela Shannon. She's a member of the Frog Lake First Nation. Good morning, Michaela. Welcome to the show. Good morning, David. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. I'm sorry that you couldn't make it into the studio with us today. We were looking forward to it, but we understand that you have a very busy life. So uh, we're, we're grateful that you, were, uh, you, you called us on the phone. So, Michaela, you are, uh, you've had quite a life in the last number of years. Uh, you know, many people may not know about uh, that you were previously Miss Teen Saskatchewan in 2014. You were top runner-up in the top five of Miss Teen Canada. Uh, you, uh, host, uh, you host a show on APTN, uh, The Other Side. You uh, are also on Rabbit Fall, uh, on CTV, Space Series, uh, Space Stretch, and you're also part of the spring campaign for Nordstrom, and uh, you're on a huge billboard in downtown Toronto. So congratulations to all of that, first of all. Thank you. I mean, seeing my face up on billboards in Canada, in the busiest intersection, uh, it's all of my work has paid off. Mm. Now, what do you mean by that? All my work has paid off. What does that work entail? What did it mean? What does that mean? I started in this industry when I was 12 years old Mm. and um, always fighting for Indigenous representation in mainstream media. And with such a large corporation like Nordstrom to be one of the first to include an Indigenous face in their campaign is really making history and... And and it wasn't just one Indigenous face, it was mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. There's another young lady, uh, her name is Tan Chai, who is also on the billboard across Canada. So they're really redefining what diversity looks like and mm. what inclusion really means. And that's great to see. And I, I, I think many of us, us would say uh, long overdue. And um, And let's hope there are many, many more of these to come. I believe there will be. There's a lot of um, attention being drawn to it, mm-hmm. and I've got a lot of opportunities um, from this campaign that is making me hopeful mm-hmm. there will be more Indigenous representation in the future. Michaela, you know, because your line of work is so visual and you're always out there uh, on on the front, I'm sure that... You, you realize that your work comes with some responsibility as a, a sort of a, 
a representative of the indigenous community. It does. It comes with a a fairly large responsibility for our youth, to Mm. our youth especially, for them to see someone relatable to them in mainstream television or mainstream media provides them with a, you know, hope and provides them with a sense of self, self-worth and it lets them know that that is achievable and those dreams are possible and it takes a lot of hard work and it doesn't matter where you come from or what circumstances you are in, um, you can break free from those cycles and live a positive lifestyle. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what you had to struggle with in your early life? Yeah. Um, so I grew, I grew up in a small town in rural Saskatchewan, and I, it's one of the most racist communities in Canada. Mm. And I experienced a lot of bullying, a lot of racism, being only the second Indigenous family in the town, Mm. I was singled out a lot. And, you know, I was all through elementary school was threatened, was um, called names, racial slurs, from dirty Indian to squaw. Mm. I was threatened by getting beat up. If I come to school, people would throw things at me. And it just made it a very unpleasant environment, which damaged my self-esteem and my confidence. And mm-hmm. that's when my mom had decided to put me in these um, self-esteem classes with modeling agency. And it was more so to get me outside of my shell and build the confidence. I never thought it would lead to a career mm-hmm. in modeling and the arts. Um, yeah, now, now you also, uh, along with this, uh, this success that you've had, you mentioned that even though it is important to you, and you're, I'm sure you're, you're, you're uh, grateful that this has happened, but it's not, uh, it's not entirely uh, all of you. In other words, what I mean by that is you have other passions, you have other things that you're interested in, and, and in fact, I believe you got involved with National Addictions Awareness Week. Yeah, I mean, I went to the U of S and studied Aboriginal justice and criminology for a little bit. And mm. my original goal was to go into law and politics mm. and uh, work with youth and in the justice system and doing youth programming, which I incorporate in my workshops and my public speaking mm. with the arts as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, you, you also have uh, uh, other things that you're involved with. Uh, I really like this walk with me. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I recently just launched my new website, and my new blog called Walk With Me. And, you know, it's just a platform for me to share my personal experiences from childhood to adulthood and everything in between and um, give advice, concepts, opinion, perspectives, and really just use my voice and share my voice for those who are willing to listen. And I hope that... um, 
a lot of youth can read what I have to say and um, use it. You know, uh, as I read through the material that you you had posted, and, and there were a couple of things that jumped out with to me, and I thought it was really nice to hear, and I think that uh, that it shows that um, it, it the indigenous perspective does always bring something different and new to a situation. So, in your modeling mm-hmm. career, and um, you you've been a part of many, uh, but but this one. Um, in February, I guess it was that uh, that you were you were part of this, but but it says if you think of about indigenous reporters come covering this these events, that an indigenous mm-hmm. re- re- reporter would come with different questions to ask, and they would bring a different perspective to that situation. And you go on to say also about the fashion itself, about the the garments that are being worn, and that indigenous fashion, each seam and stitch and thread has a story. And I thought, you know, it's very true. Many people look at the garment, they don't think, they look at the overall, but they don't think about that, the whole whole package and and how that gets put together and the stories that, that, like you say, there is a story in every stitch. I thought that was really interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean... With the many Indigenous designers I've worked with, they've told me their stories about why they use certain colors, why they use um, certain designs, certain stitch patterns. Mm. And, you know, it goes back even hundreds of years in our tradition, traditional regalia as mm-hmm. to why we use elk teeth mm-hmm. or um, why we use the floral designs. I know, you know, like the Métis people have floral designs and um, the Lakota people use a lot of geometric shapes and there's different meanings behind it all. And um, in modern fashion, Indigenous designers are incorporating those traditions and stories into their fashion. Mm -hmm. Now, as you are, and you've pointed out that that, uh, you're in in the light, you're you're out in the public, you're a face, uh, but... You also talk about behind the scenes in the industry and the challenges, some of the challenges you face uh, in the industry Mm -hmm. itself. Do you want to elaborate on some of those challenges that you see? uh, They're also, I guess, opportunities at the same time, aren't aren't they? Yeah. I mean, working in the mainstream industry, there's very, very few people that hold knowledge on Indigenous people or, you know, accurate knowledge on Indigenous issues. And so there's a lot of ignorance. So when I go into these jobs and these gigs, I find myself educating people Mm. or people coming to me and asking me questions and just trying to better understand about what's going on in the news and what they're hearing. Mm. And... Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I can be there to share my knowledge with them in a positive way and, and make them feel comfortable about speaking on First Nations issues and speaking with Indigenous people. Mm. What's, what's, uh, as you as you say in the mainstream media that you're working in, what's mm-hmm. the biggest um, 
couple of biggest surprises you've had since getting involved with that. That could be from the view uh, it has uh, of of indigenous or not non-indigenous in, in terms of they just don't think about it at all, or it could be just uh, what you have found as a, a, from your own personal perspective of now you're involved with this. This is not what I expected of this of this world that I'm now in. I actually had a recent experience um, on Nordstrom where I was completely taken by surprise and I didn't expect it. Um, they'd actually reworked the entire campaign because myself and Tun Chai and another model had spoken up. Mm. And so originally the campaign was supposed to be called True Nord. And when we got to the shoot, they had each of us saying bits and pieces of the Canadian anthem, which we had no knowledge of prior to mm. agreeing to the commercial. Mm. And, you know, we all, we, each of us, we did it. We said it. And afterwards, I was like, I don't even stand for the anthem. Mm. And now I'm saying bits and pieces of it. It's going to be aired on national television. Like, it mm. just didn't sit right with me. Mm. So I turned to Tan Chai and I asked her for her perspective and she was feeling the exact same way and then mm. another model heard us heard our conversation and she was feeling the exact same way so we were the three of us were standing there having a conversation about how we were feeling and what we should do and the creative director could feel that there was tension mm. so he came over and he's like is everything okay um and in that moment I, I, all my emotions began to race. My thoughts began to race. If I speak up, am I going to lose lose a job? Like, mm. what do I do? Mm-hmm. I was I was scared. Mm-hmm. Um, but the three of us expressed our feelings, and we stood by each other. And he he listened, and he acknowledged it, and he took it into consideration, and he understood. Mm. And he assured us that our concerns would make it up the ladder to his boss and they would see what they could do about it. Wow. I'm like, okay. After the shoot was over, he kept us up to date with how our concerns were being dealt with. And long story short, they ended up reworking the entire campaign. They cut that part out. They renamed it. We like your style. And, I was just, I was shocked. Like, uh-huh. this is the first time that, you know, that a model had a voice. Yeah. In this industry, that's very cool. don't often have voices that are heard. Wow. That's very cool. Um, and, and that, uh, congratulations to all of you for, for taking that and standing up and, and voicing your concerns. Now, you know, you talk about that voice in... Uh, in, in, in the Welcome and Walk With Me uh, blog that you say, uh, I live my life in a kind of, of light where having a voice or sharing my voice can be very difficult. Now, you also go on to say and talk about fear, the fear that many women in this industry uh, carry but won't or can't admit because we have to be our, we have to be our strong, uh, thick-skinned, insensitive selves. Mm-hmm. Now, 
what would you say to people and young girls or any young youth, indigenous and otherwise, that that have that fear? What would you say about fear? Because my experience with 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 fear when you when you fear something, you think, oh, what am I going to do? As you just voiced, but it's taking that first step. It's it's taking that initiative, and once you take that first step, it usually you usually find it's not what you thought it was. It's not. And it takes a lot of practice mm. to make the jump. And the more you practice that, the easier it will become. Most times, it's just fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. But what's the worst thing that the person can say? No. Right. And that's the worst, worst thing. Mm. And, you know, in, in my case, I, I spoke up because I had sisters standing beside me and with me. Um, So I often stress the importance of solidarity amongst our women. We need to sit by one another and support one another, empower one another. There's enough people trying to bring us down and we don't need to be doing it to one another. Mm. Well said. Well said. Um, What else would you like to, to talk about? Oh, you know what? This this Friday is International mm-hmm. Women's Day. Mm-hmm. What uh, what are your thoughts on that? International Women's Day. I mean, I'll be here with my friends, my girlfriends, and celebrating um, each other's successes. And mm-hmm. I just, I, again, I put emphasis on um, empowering one another and celebrating even the smallest of successes and focusing on the the positive stories and the positive experiences of one another. Right. And, you know, there's nothing stronger than a circle of women. <laughs> well said. That's very true. Um, listen, we're, we're quickly running out of time. I'm just wondering, uh, yeah. speaking of women, what's your mom think about all the success that you've had? My mom, you know, she, she's been waiting for the day where um, I would have my, my break, as she would mm. say it, where I would break through as an Indigenous person in mainstream media. And she's very, very proud. Mm. And she's been so supportive through it all. And I couldn't have done it without her. And, you know, if it wasn't for her... Um, her nurturing and time into putting me into these classes at such a young age mm. and recognizing that that's what I needed, I I wouldn't be here. So, I mean, I'm grateful for her and I give her um, all of the acknowledgement and love that she needs back. Mm. How 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 would you say this has benef- benefited um, your your family? How has it benefited my family? Yeah, your success and what I you've think- gone through. How does how has that affected your your family? Has it changed uh, their perspective on things? Has it given them, uh, uh, you know, a, a different outlook? It has, but. 
this is just the beginning. So they're mm. hopeful that they will see a consistent, more long-lasting um, chain of change. Mm. Of course. Mikhail, I want to I want to say uh, Nyawa Miigwech and, and Wanishi for joining us today on the show. It was great to speak with you, uh, and and I, I wish you all the success. We uh, we look forward to seeing you you around in more things, and we certainly hope to have you into the studio at some point when you're able to uh, give us a little bit of time and 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 do that with us. I would love to come to the studio. Thank you for having me and um, allowing me to share my voice. Mm, uh, our pleasure. Listen, Michaela, just before you go, in case anyone is interested in contacting you uh, in terms of, uh, you know, going to your blog and things, uh, what's, your, what's your, uh, your website that people can contact you at? Yeah, you can contact me on MichaelaShannon.com. Okay. And uh, there you go, MichaelaShannon.com. And uh, thanks once again, and all the best, Michaela. Thank you, David. All right, take care. Bye-bye. We're going to go for a a break right now on Moment of Truth, but we will be right back after this break. And well, you're going to go go right into an interview, a pre-recorded interview that I did with uh, Gary Anandasangria, and he is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of of Canadian Heritage and Multiculturalism, and that is uh, for the Indigenous Languages uh, a, a bill that was tabled and we're going to hear that and then we'll be coming back and going right to our Ottawa studio and speaking with Caroline O'Neill. Stand by for that right after this. On the line we have with us Gary Anasangari. Is that correct Gary? Did I get that proper? Close. It's Anandasangari. Anandasangari. Thank you. I missed the D. And uh, he is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Canadian Heritage and Multiculturalism. And he's on the line to speak with us today about uh, something that is uh, relatively important and has come down late, lately, and that is the tabling of legislation, uh, Bill C-91, I believe it is called, uh, having to do with Indigenous languages. Is that correct, Gary? That's, that's correct, David. And uh, um, as you know, uh, language is at the foundation of uh, who we are uh, as individuals, as communities, and as peoples. Um, and uh, over the last uh, century and a half, um, the government of Canada's programs um, basically uh, worked against the protection of indigenous languages. In fact, um, uh, helped in uh, in uh, silencing many voices uh, over these generations. Mm. Um, and as you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Report calls to action uh, 13, 14, and 15 um, called on the government of Canada to ensure. Uh, that we have a robust program that will uh, support, uh, revitalize uh, Indigenous languages, and, and that is exactly what we're intending to do uh, with C91. Uh, it is a bill that's been uh, co-developed by, uh, with, with the help of three Indigenous, uh, national Indigenous organizations. Uh, and as part of the process, we uh, consulted with over 1,200 uh, people we uh, met with tribal councils, we met with uh, band councils, we met uh, with organizations uh, involved in, in, in uh, protection and preservation uh, of the language, uh, and we met with many different stakeholders across the country uh, to come up with what we believe uh, is the transformational uh, legislation. So who are the three organizations that you uh, worked with? So we work with uh, the national indigenous organizations, so the Assembly of First Nations, mm-hmm. the Métis National Council, 
uh, and the ITK, uh, so okay. the new tap rate uh, is committed to me. Uh, and as you know, uh, uh, it's a process of co-development that continues to this day. So while uh, you know there's a number of reservations, um, uh, you know ITK has expressed uh, reservations uh, on the bill, um, and obviously we're working, uh, continuing continuing to work with the parties to ensure that we we have everyone on board. Now, in regard to that, with the ITK sort of coming out and saying it's it's not something they they, they support that it doesn't uh, give them support as, for their languages. I guess that's what the the um, their concern is. Am I am I correct in 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 thinking that the the legislation is there to help preserve the languages that are struggling at the moment, and and because ITK or the the Inuit languages are are perhaps more robust at this point in time, or or stronger than than a lot of the other languages uh, in use, that uh, that was uh, part of the thinking. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, uh, look, uh, according to UNESCO, uh, out of the nineteen indigenous languages. Um, you know, virtually all of them um, are of some level of being, uh, you know, being endangered. Mm. Um, so, so there isn't a language that is that that can be, you know, deemed to be fully safe. Mm. Um, we heard testimony this week uh, at committee where uh, Inuktitut is, I think, declining at rate of one percent in uh, in some of the regions. So, uh, you know, the, the the evidence is there that that you know all languages need uh, need the level of uh, protection. Obviously, uh, I think there's more speakers uh, from a per capita basis within uh, within that language group. Mm. Um, but really, I think the issue uh, there comes down to uh, issues that are really out, out of the scope of this legislation. Uh, and that's what we're trying to bridge. Uh, and we will continue to do that and work with uh, all parties, most uh, notably with the ITK, to ensure that we, uh, you know, we have everyone's support um, as the bill goes through the process. Can you explain what you mean by that? Out of the scope of this legislation, what what do you mean by that? Um, so, so I think one of, one of the the uh, requirements for ITK uh, is that in 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 their regions, in in, in the four regions, um, uh, they're looking to have uh, a service provision in uh, in Uktuk, um and and that may not by the federal government. So. From a practical perspective, that may not be possible, given um, that there are limited uh, speakers uh, who are able to fill some of these roles. So, for it, just as an example, of Service Canada, if we have a Service Canada office, and 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 uh, it naturally makes sense that if there are, are, are speakers and and we have the resources and we have people who are able to to fill those positions, um, it, it does make sense to have um, uh, people being able to. Uh, obtain services in in, in their language. Uh, that's something that I think we need to strive for. But from a legislative perspective, it's hard to put it into legislation because we're not at this point certain that we can actually fill those roles. So if if we're hiring ten people, we're uh, we're not sure we can have every single one of them be be fluent. So I think that those are some of the practical challenges that mm. uh, that, that we have, and that is really. Um, you know, out of the scope of the the legislation, because you know our intention here uh, essentially is to um, develop a framework to establish a commissioner uh, and an office uh, that is uh, you know is envisioned to be indigenous led um, and and to be able to uh, uh, have some analysis of of the, of the requirements within the different parts of the country, different language groups, uh, and then uh, for the federal government to be able to fund. Uh, local programming based on what 
each language group uh, requires. So, uh, for example, there's movement towards technology, use of technology, mm -hmm. use of, um, uh, you know, uh, television. There's uh, use of, uh, you know, classrooms. Uh, apps are being developed in, in certain communities. Um, so, so we're looking uh, for the legislation to provide uh, a framework where, uh, you know, depending on the language group, depending on on the severity and and the and the depth of the loss, um, be able to customize uh, a local solution uh, to be able to uh, you know revitalize reclaim and and reju rejuvenate the language, and 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 that is where the federal government comes in with uh, you know substantial money to support those initiatives, because as is you know our program is is you know and then I'll be the first to admit it's not sufficient to. Uh, to to be able to undertake the 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 depth of the loss, um, mm. and, and therefore, um, what we're looking for, and what we've heard from many different communities, is a need for long term long term uh, sustainable, predictable funding that is not program based. Uh, so not looking for things that could run for six months or one year, and then the reporting requirement, then they don't get funded the next year, and then mm. they have to come back. So there's no uh, continuity. What we're looking to do is to be able to really develop resources locally that can build towards, uh, you know, much broader framework. So we're going to start at different places, uh, you know, different places for different people uh, based on where the language is and, and what kind of supports are available. Like, like, you know, there are great models we see in places like Saskatoon. Uh, school board, for example, has a, has a Cree um, bilingual school in Cree. Um, in uh, parts of Nunavut. Um, you know, I, I think none of it, for example, they, they have uh, grade one to four um, uh, available in in, in So, you know, they're they're all starting from different places. There's the Oneida. Uh, you know, I, I met them two weeks ago uh, in southwestern Ontario. Uh, there are only um, you know a, a handful of speakers. I think there's about, mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, under 50 speakers. Um, so they're in a different place. Um, so sure. we need to be able to have a framework that supports all of these um, uh, programs and all of these uh, language groups uh, and understanding that they're all going to start at a different place, but we all want, we want them to end at the right place, which is uh, proficiency, which is long, longevity of the language, and to be able to continue um, you know, uh, with the proficiency that's required for language to survive. Mm. It's a huge undertaking, uh, for sure. Now, the the Indigenous Languages Commissioner that that person will be chosen fairly soon. What's the what's the status on that? Well, I mean, the the first step, obviously, for us is is getting the legislation through. So we are on a fairly tight timeline. Um, we are anticipating that um, the legislation will pass um, uh, committee stage um, uh, the week of the uh, the eighteenth. Okay, um, and then um, it should go to the Senate after that, and, and, and obviously, um, you know, the Senate um, will need to uh, have it passed before uh, we all rise uh, as, as a mandate comes to an end uh, in the late spring. So, so that is kind of the timeline we're looking at. Mm. Uh, and, and thereafter, we will be able to uh, um, appoint um, the, the commissioners as well as the, the actual the directors as well as the commissioner. Mm. Well, it's exciting stuff, uh, and and like you said, it's long overdue. There, and and I, I know, like you said, there are some areas that are already working on their own for some of these languages and supporting their own languages. Uh, I know there's some uh, some schools on Six Nations that exist in that regard as well, in terms of uh, uh, having having uh, immersion schools for for their languages. 
Um, so it is exciting, and as you mentioned, there's technology that can support this uh, in terms of apps and, and in terms of radio and television. Now, do you have any idea in terms of if if people are interested in, in accessing the dollars to help preserve their languages and move this forward, uh, do you have any idea at this point in time what that might be in in, in terms of, of helping them? Sure. Um, I mean, right now we, we have what's called the ALI program, Aboriginal Languages Initiative, um, and that is going to be like an interim measure until the, the full scope of the legislation is implemented. And it's going to take, you know, uh, probably about a year, year and a half for to, to for the commission to be established and for the new funding mechanisms to kick in. Mm. Um, but in the interim, you know, the ALI program, which which I mentioned earlier, is is kind of the root. Uh, but we're hoping that, you know, in these intermediating uh, time frame, we're hoping that people uh, will start to get creative, will get excited, and, and will start trying to develop their own, you know, work plan uh, in terms of their language. And, and, mm. and that is the... Uh, that will be followed by the funding that comes from the federal government. Great. Gary, I know you have to run off to another meeting. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's anything we haven't spoken about that you want to mention uh, uh, just before you leave. Look, uh, ultimately, this is um, this is something that is long overdue. Uh, this is something that I think is uh, foundational to uh, to every, um, you know, uh, every people. Um, and uh, while Canada has, you know, um, done a lot of made a lot of mistakes in this regard. Um, I think it's it's long overdue that we, we get on this path towards uh, ensuring the languages are are, um, are vibrant and, and, and do survive uh, and, and thrive over time. Um, it is so fundamental. Like, I, you know, I'm not a um, native English speaker, so my, my, my mother tongue is Tamil, and I can tell you um, how important that is to me and to my identity and how that's given me the grounding. Uh, and I think for people, um, their connection to the language, the land, the culture is so fundamental, and, and that's what um, we're hoping to do with this legislation. Um, it's not perfect. It's not. Uh, uh, it's not um, a panacea for for all all of our issues. But this is one uh, fundamental aspect of an identity that we want to to support and, mm. and, and to find find a long term path uh, for survival. Uh, thanks, Gary, and I thank you for explaining uh, your own background. I was uh, I was curious, and I appreciate you sharing that because uh, it, it's it it is not just uh, necessarily uh, an, an indigenous issue to uh, to Canada; it is worldwide. So uh, I'm, I appreciate you you sharing that with us. I know you have to run off, so I want to say uh, thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate you taking the time to do so. Uh, thank you, David, and, and I, um, I I hope to uh, speak to you again. Likewise, and that was the voice of Gary and Ananda Sangari, and he is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Canadian Heritage and Multi- Multiculturalism. And I, I want to thank him for joining us on the phone today. And back to regular programming. And uh, good morning and welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm David Moses, your host. We are broadcasting on 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa this is Element FM, and I believe on the line from Ottawa, we have our reporter, Caroline O'Neill. Morning, Caroline. Hi, David. Hey, how you good doing? Good morning, I'm there. I'm great. <laughs> how about yourself? Uh, good, good, good. So, Lisa, you've been pretty busy up there on the hill, I understand. It has been quite the time to be in Ottawa, David. <laughs> I'd say I'd say so. Never a dull moment with uh, with so many things happening right now. 
Yeah, last week was quite the busy week. There was a lot to keep our eye on and quite a lot to go see for ourselves um, to see what was happening over on the hill. Yeah, I think that's great that you uh, you have that ability for us to go there and uh, keep your ear to the ground and uh, meet and see and uh, and give us the, the takeaway from your own perspective on many of these things. So where do you want to start? Should we start with uh, SN, uh, 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 SNC-Lavalin? Yeah, I think we might as well. That is certainly the hot topic of the past few weeks. So let's start there. Sure. So what can you um, tell us? What, what, what was your takeaway from what happened last week and, and leading up into things uh, uh, to come uh, this week? For sure. So first of all, um, I was actually fortunate enough to be in the room when Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former Attorney General of Canada, actually testified. Mm. She testified nonstop for well over three hours. She didn't take a break. It was quite the thing to see. And I have to say, as somebody who was in the room, David, the tension was really palpable. This was something we had all been waiting for. I had been in question period for the past few weeks, and it was very bizarre because she can't speak about any of those issues in question period. So often, an entire hour of question period would be about her, and she would just have to sit there and say nothing. So this was the first time we finally had the chance to hear from her, mm. and we heard quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Anything uh, specifically that, that jumps out at you that you feel that maybe we haven't heard yet that uh, or, or a, a perspective that... that that you could bring to this that we haven't heard? Yeah. So first of all, I think we have to bear in mind that we haven't heard the whole story yet. Solicitor client privilege was only waived up until just before she was shuffled. Everything we heard from member of parliament, Wilson Raybould pertained to before she became the veterans affairs minister. So any communication after the fact we have yet to hear. We also have yet to hear from Jerry Butts. Jerry Butts will be testifying this Wednesday and it's my plan to be there as well. So I'll definitely have more for you then. So Mm -hmm. we still need more of a holistic picture. However, what we did hear from her was we heard her say that the Prime Minister and the Clerk of the Privy Council told her that there is an election in Quebec, we have to think about SNC-Lavalin, and she says that the Prime Minister himself said, I'm the MP for Papineau, and she said that she asked him point blank, are you asking me to interfere politically? That is a huge statement. That is certainly a statement that cannot be ignored. Mm. And was there an answer to that? So she says the answer that the prime minister gave was, no, 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 but we need to find a solution. Yeah. But he, he told her that he wasn't right. politically interfering. But for the um, House member committees, House member committee members who are questioning her, they really viewed that as political interference. Sure. Just, just the, the matter of, of stating it or, or saying something like that. Exactly. The other thing that she said that I think was very striking was just towards the end of her half an hour long statement, she said, I come from a long line of matriarchs and I'm a truth teller in accordance with the laws and traditions of our big house. And I thought that was a really telling statement. The fact that for her, she was saying that it's about the truth that matters to her the most. And I think she really viewed this as her opportunity to speak truth to power, which some people will remember was a statement she made when she first released a statement talking about why Mm -hmm. she was shuffled over to Veterans Affairs. And I think speaking truth to power is a real theme here with Member of Parliament Wilson Raybould. Yeah, um, I I heard a a comment made that that she kind of threw her colleagues under the bus, you know, with this sort of thing. And um, and that, uh, you know, she may be speaking her truth, but it's at the cost of, of her colleagues or her party. 
I think that's an interesting point, David, and that was actually something that came out of the Justice Committee meeting. Mm. She was, not only was she the Attorney General of Canada, she was also a Cabinet Minister. She was the Justice Minister. Mm. And one of the takeaways we had from that meeting was that those two roles are very different, and when they intertwine, it can really complicate the different rules and processes, and also the policy and the decision-making that Canadians need. So the Attorney General, as she stated, is supposed to be nonpartisan, is supposed to be a final decision-maker, and is supposed to be independent. Mm. The Justice Minister is a member of Cabinet and does have more of a Cabinet's interest. So for her as one person, and for her as one person working on these issues as they can sometimes intertwine or maybe intertwine to those who are watching, you could see how people would say that. Now, she would say, as the Attorney General, I have to act independently, but certainly members of the Cabinet would say, you are part of a team. Mm. And one of her suggestions was that those roles need to be reviewed. Right. Now, I, wa- I want to go back to the comment you made about tension, the tension in the room. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you think that tension was coming from? Like, why do you think that tension was there? I think a big part of the tension, as you mentioned, was kind of the some people say she let down the team or three members under the bus. She was being directly questioned by members, um, by her liberal colleagues. Mm. Um, Ikra Khalid was there. Jennifer O'Connell was there. Different people, um, Anthony House's father, who chairs the committee, he was there. And these were all people who she worked with, right? And I think the tension was that her, in a way, all of our traditions of the House of Commons and debate were flipped on its head. So her colleagues were the ones who were suddenly aggressively questioning her, whereas the Conservative members and the NDP members and the Green members were the ones reiterating that they believed her, that they applauded her, that she has done such a great thing for Canada. And so I think you could really feel that tension in just how those those roles were changed. Mm. You know, something through all of this that, that I've been trying to get uh, my, my sense of or my, uh, my put, put words to is, is something you, you alluded to, this truth teller that, I, you know, she wants to tell her truth and, 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 and the connection to the Indigenous community and her connection to the Indigenous community. Yes. That, you know, her, and I think that Indigenous people carry this. It's their, it's their duty. I think that m- many people feel it's their duty that regardless of, of other things that are at play, this is, my, this is what I have to do. You know, barring anything, it may be, you know, may, it may be damaging, it may be, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I will do it. You know, it, the truth. And that's what I'm referring to. I think that, David, that is a theme that came up quite a bit, especially in her opening statement. Hmm. In her opening statement, she talked about Crown relations with Indigenous peoples, and she talked how those relations have been fraught and how oftentimes they haven't been grounded in truth. And she said that as an Attorney General and as a legal professional and as an Indigenous person who's witnessed all of that, that made her feel that much more connected to the truth and to the integrity of the role. Mm. And interestingly enough, she was actually questioned by one of her colleagues, Member of Parliament, Ikra Khalid, who said that um, Jody Wilson-Raybould can be very outspoken on issues that are passionate to her. And Ikra Khalid mentioned and referenced um, Indigenous issues. And Jody Wilson-Raybould said, you talk about Indigenous issues. I'm a proud Indigenous person from the west coast of British Columbia, and I will not apologize for being a strong advocate for pursuing transformative policy for Indigenous peoples in the country. Mm. And I, I think that was a very strong theme throughout the questioning, and especially throughout her statement. And like you said, for her as an Indigenous person who's grounded in truth, it was then from what she said in her testimony and statement, translated into her role as the Attorney General. Mm. 
so what do you think that, that is going to happen this week with butts? What do you think that's going to happen there? It's going to be very interesting. Um, he watched the testimony. He said that he felt that he had evidence to share. Yep. And his request has been approved. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is that he's going to say. Now, that being said, I, was, I mentioned this to somebody Wednesday night after I watched the testimony. We got the start of a story. Canada did not get the full story last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. We will not get the full story this Wednesday. We mm-hmm. will get another part of it. Right. As Jody Wilson-Raybould mentioned, she can't talk about anything after she was shuffled. And there probably are some communications we need to be made aware of then. I don't know what Jerry Butts will say. It's interesting, right? He is a very close friend, and he was one of the top advisors. People in liberal circles will tell you that he was kind of the guy behind the sunny, the sunny ways kind of narrative, and right. people on the other side will say that Jerry Butts was the puppet master. Mm. So this is, this is quite the person to hear from. Right. Yeah, interesting. It will be interesting. Uh, now, as you were talking, I was, I was, something came to me, and I'm just wondering— Mm-hmm. From the meeting you were at uh, last week. Yes. What were the faces of the people telling you as you left that room? Um, I think, first of all, if I'm being a little facetious here, people were tired. She, she had such stamina. People, I think, couldn't believe how long she, she spoke for. But you saw one of the faces that struck out to me, stuck out to me the most was Elizabeth May's face. She was in the room early on. And when the member of parliament, Jody Wilson-Raybould, walked in, there were multiple cameras inches from her face. Mm. And Elizabeth May had such a look of empathy for her and cringed for her. And Mm. I think that it was kind of the, to me, it was kind of that thought that you wouldn't willingly put yourself in that position unless you felt that there was something you had to tell. Mm. Um, I think there were faces of concern at some point. I mentioned Ikra Khalid mentioned the Indigenous files issue. Many people said that the way she phrased that really didn't come across well, especially when member Wilson-Raybould gave her response saying that she wouldn't apologize for being proud and that she disagreed with characteristics that she only spoke up and never listened. Mm. And I think you saw, you saw some faces. There was some gasping at some point. I remember hearing um, that I remember hearing Lisa Raitt from the conservative party gasp at some of the things that Jody Wilson were able to say. And so I think for a lot of people, there were a lot of different takeaways. There was empathy for this person. I think, Many people were in awe of her courage and her stamina, and I think people were also slowly beginning to think about what this could lead to and where else this will go, and starting to link that to what we could be hearing from Jerry Butts. And I think if you were a conservative member or an NDP member, you were quite happy with the testimony as well. Mm. Should we be happy as Canadians? I think I, we don't know the full story yet, but mm. if this is the story of a person who did their job as the job description is meant to be, mm-hmm. then I think people would be happy. And actually I spoke with some Canadians this weekend who were quite happy with mm-hmm. what she did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anything else you want to add to this before we move on? We have a couple other things uh, I hope we can talk about. Yeah, we do have a couple other things, but to your point about Canadians being happy, I actually did want to talk quickly about a sign I saw over the weekend. Okay. Um, I was with my dad in part outside of Ottawa, a little more rural part of Ontario that can run quite conservative. And I happened to see a sign that said, Jody, your unwavering integrity and courage gives us hope for the future of our country. (laughs) Thank you, Jody. We believe your truth. We admire your courage. We are saved by your integrity. And I tracked down the people who put up the sign. Mm -hmm. Their names are Scott and Stephen, and I had the chance to speak with them. Mm -hmm. Scott told me that he is incredibly grateful to Jody Wilson-Raybould. He said that in his opinion, she could have just stayed in a cabinet position 
and let the status quo continue. And he thought that it took quite a, quite a lot for her to do what she did. Mm. I also had the chance to speak with his father, Stephen, and Stephen told me that he is a strong member and supporter of the Conservative Party, but that if Jody Wilson-Raybould were to be running as a Liberal Prime Minister, she, he would actually vote for her because he'd rather vote for somebody who he views as honest. Wow. And he said that in a perfect world, he would want her to run for the Conservative Party, but he knows that wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow, nice statement to end on there. That's great. So uh, mm-hmm. let's move on. Uh, have, you, uh, have you had a chance to, uh, to look or, or, or at least uh, get familiar with the Indigenous languages, uh, Bill C-91? I have had the chance to take a look at it. Okay. What can you tell us from, from your uh, perspective? Yeah, so from my perspective, um, it was really lauded as something that was going to be co-developed with Indigenous groups. It was introduced last month. Mm-hmm. But we have been hearing from the Inuit community that that's not the experience they've had with this bill. Mm. Natan Obed from the Inuit Tapri Kenatami, he was saying that they really wanted a standalone section for Nuktuk and recognizing it, but that didn't really happen. Right. And he actually testified last week to the Heritage Committee where he talked about that further. Right. And he felt that this needs to be about capacity building and about preserving a language that is dying. And there's still more work that needs to be done. Right. Anything anything else you can add to that and uh, outside yeah, of that? Yeah, so actually the Nunavut government has said that they are working with Inuit organizations right now to put pressure on Ottawa for amendments to the Federal Indigenous Languages Act, looking for some of those things, looking for amendments that would look at that standalone question, looking for things that would recognize Inuit speakers. And the Federal Heritage Minister, Pablo Rodriguez, has said that he is committed to working with Inuit groups to resolve those concerns. Mm-hmm. That is something that they will be working on. So as I mentioned, the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage had hearings last week on the new legislation, and this is something that I think we will certainly hear going forward. So right now the House is on a two-week break. Mm-hmm. It'll be very interesting to see what happens when the House comes back. Uh, what about in other, in other regards to, say, the, the, the monies uh, that are going to be put forward for this or uh, working with other Indigenous languages? Um, any, any word on that? Yeah, there was actually a very interesting person who testified who I wish this had made more news, but I don't think it did just because there was so much, there were so many other things going on. But actually, an Indigenous woman from Wet'suwet'en Nation testified to the Standing Heritage Committee as well that week. Hmm. And she really brought up the importance of hereditary leadership and self-governance structures and mm. self-determination. And she talked about the importance of that as it connects with language. Right. And I thought it was so fascinating to hear her and to see her in Ottawa, especially after the protests and after how lasting, I think, of an impact the Wet'suwet'en protesters have had mm. on the climate here. And mm-hmm. it was very interesting to see her. And like I said, I think SNC-Lavalin has just completely dominated over the past few weeks. Right. And there were different stories that we really, we didn't get the chance to see out fully. And so I thought it, it was quite interesting to hear from her. And people can actually go online and watch those standing committees if watching a standing committee is your thing. <laughs> but I, I wish that we had more journalists across the country dedicated to work like this. So we could have, mm. people could have had more necessary access to some of those statements. Right. Was there any reaction to her comments? Overall, I think people people understood where she was coming from. Um, mm-hmm. The testifying, when witnesses testify for something like that, it's obviously very different than when Jody Wilson-Raybould was testifying. But right. I think people really appreciated getting the perspective because as you said, right, it's, it's not just one group. 
It's many, many people across this country who have a stake in this legislation, mm. and they have a stake in it getting this right. And so I think it was really important from people to hear from her. From what I saw, people were very grateful to all of the people who took the time to testify. Mm. Okay. Anything else you want to add about this? Uh... I think the thing that's worth noting is that the United Nations has declared 2019 the official year of Indigenous languages. Right. And I think that that's something that we need to have on the back of our mind throughout 2019 and hopefully moving forward. But especially with this year, um, the United Nations itself has a website that people can go to and look at some of the different statistics about Indigenous languages, about Indigenous languages that have been preserved or Indigenous languages that are perhaps on the brink of extinction and what Mm -hmm. it is that we can do and also the power of those languages. And I think that stories of language will continue. Um, We even saw that right at the Oscars with Roma, which featured Indigenous mixed tech language. And so Mm -hmm. I think... In general, we need to keep that in the back of our mind. And I certainly hope that the United Nations continues with programming that helps people to learn and understand the value and importance of Indigenous languages and what we can do to preserve them moving forward. Okay, great. Um, um, so, sorry, I've just, uh, just, I've just been handed a note here. So, no problem. Um, so we will have uh, UN Canada uh, on the on MOT next week. We're going to have uh, someone on next week, so that's exciting. Now, uh, listen, before we get to our last topic, I want to ask you about um, that uh, Friday is, uh, speaking of, uh, uh, it's International Women's Day. It is. So do you know if there's anything going on in Ottawa that, that pertains to that? Yeah, there certainly will be programming um across the city. I know that there's actually a city councillor from one of our wards in North uh, Canada North who has applications open right now for young women across the city to spend the day with her at City Hall, and she'll be partnering them up with different mentors, and they'll have the chance to learn more about municipal politics and different leadership opportunities that they can take. Mm. So that's one example of some of the work that is going on right. um, in Ottawa. Cool. Um, so listen, um, another bill that, that uh, was introduced yes. to us, Bill C-92, um, right, for uh, Inuit and Métis children and youth and families. Uh, what, what do you hear about that? Um, again, I actually had the privilege to be there Thursday morning when Indigenous Services Minister Seamus O'Regan had a press conference about it. Mm-hmm. And that was a really interesting um, there was a lot of really interesting information. It's a very interesting bill. And many people have said this is a groundbreaking bill. Mm. The key takeaway that I had that was reiterated by the Indigenous Services Minister, as well as um, Perry Bellegarde and Clément Chautier, was that it isn't about giving back or giving control of families to First Nations, Inuit, and Métis, children, youth, and families. It's about acknowledging that the control was always there. Mm. And that was very key. So it's Mm. about recognizing that it's within the community and that it's meant to be within the community, and it's not the Canadian government giving that was something that was very that was reiterated and that was made very clear to people who were there. I see. So he he was making a point with that. Is it, that's basically what he was saying there, right? Exactly. He was making the point. Um, for Seamus O'Regan, this was a big event for him. He mm-hmm. hasn't been the Indigenous Services Minister for very long, right? And it's a it's a big profile, right? There's a lot of a learning curve for him. There's a lot he has to do. Mm-hmm. I should say as well, his predecessor Jane Philpot, who is now the president of the Treasury Board. She I th- was really well-liked and respected. People viewed her as a sharpshooter, and they thought that she was very dedicated mm-hmm. to the cause. And, and actually, what was quite a rare moment, she came out for the event. Mm. And that doesn't happen often after a cabinet minister has been shuffled. Right. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I heard one of the things about this, that there's no new money for this. 
so this is the question. The question of funding is something that has come up quite a bit. People want to know more about the funding, and that was something that was really talked around, and mm. I would personally say as somebody who was there was not answered in a direct way. But organizations like the First Nations Caring Society were asking they needed, they wanted more answers about that. What is the money? Where is the money? What will it go to? And how are we going to figure this out? I think especially when you're talking about the issue of self-governance and when you're talking about acknowledging people who had control and people who deserve the right to decide for their own families, it does feel like the mark is missed, especially when you're setting the definition for what the federal funding will be. Mm. And especially the key part of this bill, as it was said in the background we were given, was that it's about making sure that Indigenous children stay with the communities and stay with family. But different groups like the Inu Nation are saying, well, how can you do that if you're not telling us what kind of money you'll give to ensure that we have reliable support? Right. Right. And of course, uh, there's there's still the the numbers that speak uh, volumes at this point in time about uh, about children uh, in in foster care, et cetera, et cetera, uh, across the country. This, yeah, this was something that came up quite a bit, David. And I think people we talk a lot about the '60s scoop, and we often like to talk about these things as historic, even though they're not. People who lived through the '60s scoop are living with us today. Mm. But a lot of the different leaders at the event pointed out that there are actually more Indigenous children in care now than there were in the 60s scoop. That's what they were saying, and they said this is a current humanitarian crisis. Okay, Carolyn, we have to cut you off there. Sorry about that, but we're run out of time. Thank you very much for joining us today on the show. We really appreciate it, and let's do it again. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. Okay, talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. That was Caroline Eneal in Ottawa.